That was a great beginning. <laughs> I was saving my burp just so I could do it as soon as we started recording. <laughs> great. Great. Uh, so this is it. This is the home stretch. This is the final the final run to the it's end of the, the story. Countdown. Countdown. <laughs> Uh, copyright 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 that's our song now that belongs to us is that how it works no i was saying i didn't want to get copyrighted we recorded the latest version of it so now it is our song (laughs) solid song solid song we're gonna make this episode incredibly brisk because it's gonna be about the madness from the sea in which a lot happens but in which like not a lot of like else happens Mm -hmm. and then it just ends that's how life is. Yep. And then uh, Thurston just yeets himself out of the story and we can move on to Pikmin's model. If I was Thurston, I would have yeeted myself out of the story as soon as it started. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best. Uh, should we then dive into this story? Let's yeet ourselves out of it. See you guys later. <laughs> I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And it's, it's Del, Del Toro, Toro time. time. It's Del Toro time. The aperture was black, with a darkness almost material. That tenebrousness was indeed a positive quality, for it obscured such parts of the inner walls as ought to have been revealed, and actually burst forth like smoke from its eon-long imprisonment, visibly darkening the sun as it slunk away into the shrunken and gibbous sky on flapping, membranous wings. The odor arising from the newly opened depths was intolerable, and at length the quick-eared Hawkins thought he heard a nasty, slopping sound down there. Everyone listened, and everyone was listening still when it lumbered slobberingly into sight gropingly squeezed its gelatinous green immensity through the black doorway into the tainted outside air of that poison city of madness. Poor Johansson's handwriting almost gave out when he wrote of this. Of the six men who never reached the ship, he thinks two perished of pure fright in that accursed instant. The thing cannot be described. There is no language for such abysms of shrieking and immemorial lunacy, such eldritch contradictions of all matter, force, and cosmic order. A mountain walked or stumbled. God, what wonder that across the earth a great architect went mad, and poor Wilcox raved with fever that telepathic instant. The thing of the idols, the green, sticky spawn of the stars, had awaked to claim its own. The stars were right again, and what an age-old cult had failed to do by design, a band of innocent sailors had done by accident. After vigintillions of years, great Cthulhu was loose again ravening for delight. You just heard the first real description of the 
coming of Cthulhu, out of Cthulhu's lair, from our story, The Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft. Yes, that's right. We are covering the last section of The Call of Cthulhu. And Willow, who did we hear reading that wonderful passage? Well, before we do that, I just want to say I'm really proud of Cthulhu for coming out. <laughs> Makes me really proud. I'm very happy for him. Good good for them. Them. Yes, that's true. Good for them. Cthulhu is a genderless being who knows no bounds. Um, We just heard Andrew. <laughs> that was a fun warble in the voice. <laughs> I almost said Andy. Andrew Troth. Our good friend. Our good friend, uh, reading that selection, and uh, as as always, if you want to hear more of Andrew's beautiful voice, please go to audible.com, search Andrew, T-R-O-T-H, and find a wide selection of readings by him. He has read many, many books. He is wor- it's worth it's worth paying your last dime to hear our boy. He's a good he's a good chap, a good chappy, and a good fellow. Not unlike the robot chappy. Now, when we left off, Thurston had just started finally putting all the clues together. There had been the earthquake, and people all over the world started having weird visions and dreams. If you were a poet or an artist, you were having vivid dreams. He discovered that uh, that young uh, Wilcox, who had met up with his uncle, uh, Professor Angel, had created this bas-relief of Cthulhu and mentioned the Cthulhu cult. And then there was the guy who was Professor, not Professor, Inspector Legrasse was his name? Inspector Legrasse. Lego grass. <laughs> the great elven archer. We're the most uh, annoying people in the world. I apologize for our terrible commentary. Inspector of the Grass uh, had discovered a Cthulhu cult in the swamps of New Orleans where he had found one of the one of the acolytes of Cthulhu had told him that the Cthulhu was one of the uh, great ones who had come down from the stars many, many millions of years before humans, that they he had been locked away along with many others of his kind uh, in, a, in, a, in a land called Relia or Rilie that had sunk beneath the sea. And now they were waiting for the stars to align so they could call Cthulhu uh, from its watery, watery grave where it was dead yet talking with people people in their dreams and also we are kind of suspecting that maybe people aren't as important to Cthulhu as they think they are (laughs) and uh and finally Thurston was like I wonder if I wonder if if all this if all this is just a really bad really bad sign of things to come (laughs) um uh, but then he but then at the end of uh the last section he was like okay so I think Wilcox was on the level that he was really having these visions. I think that that there's more to the story, but unfortunately, I've hit a bit of a dead end at this point uh, in my research. I can't find any other clues that'll point me to what exactly is going on. And that's kind of where we pick up with part three, The Madness of the Sea, from mm-hmm. the sea. And we also get the the biggest, the biggest dink ever written by H.P. Lovecraft in order to just push a story along a coincidence that if i think hp lovecraft had thought about it for another 30 seconds he probably could have done a bit more elegantly who needs to write elegantly when you can just not do that and i guess i guess uh dickens certainly wasn't a a fan of elegant transitions and just had people coincidentally run into each other all the time that's how real life works Also, do you think all of what's going on in 2020 could be a sign? That Cthulhu is returning? That Cthulhu is returning. I think it's more a sign that we just don't know how to manage ourselves. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, considering America is kind of the only one. I don't say, not America. The U.S. is only the kind of one only still like. Effing around and finding out. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Are you aware of what coincidence I am referring to? Is it the piece of paper? 
Yes. Which is like being used as a shelf liner by one of his friends. If heaven ever wishes to grant me a boon, it will be a total effacing of the results of a mere chance which fixed my eye on a certain stray piece of shelf paper. Yep, so his big clue is this article from an Australian newspaper that just happened to be lining the shelves of a friend who he just happened to be visiting and just happened to look at this line, this shelf liner. That's how mysteries get solved, though. Is it? Yeah, because you don't solve a mystery... Like, most of the time, you don't solve a mystery by working your butt off and, like, looking at all the evidence you have presented. You solve a mystery because you look at something and you're like, wait a minute. Oh. It would be one thing if, okay, I can understand it if Lovecraft had made it, like, a piece of his own shelf paper that maybe he had used years ago and just hadn't really noticed until now like something it's just such a wild like because that doesn't really happen anywhere else in this story uh this like if i hadn't been looking at the right shelf at the right time i wouldn't have noticed the cthulhu statue that was emblazoned upon the article from australia well think about it if his grandfather hadn't died at that moment or great uncle his grand uncle uh his grunkle i think that's actually yeah i know it is (laughs) uh okay anyways um grunkle angel and that's it that's the show the show is done forever (laughs) goodbye um so yeah so he finds this article and what does it tell him about uh it read as follows mystery derelict found at sea this uh, talks about a guy who gets rescued at sea yes and there's a strange statue on in his possession yeah so this is like a very so, okay, wispy and windy narrative that makes sense like just because it sort of goes to show you just how difficult getting this information was for Thurston but it is almost a headache to read at times just because you have to be like oh, what are you doing where are you going whose ship was boarded by whom and who attacked what and they I ended think up the go- problem wasn't this like published in three different parts no this was published altogether well then this why was- does he feel the need to go back and reference things we read two seconds ago yeah, he does that quite a bit. Uh, he kind of fills you in on what just happened. and But yeah, no, this was all published in Weird Tales in just one one hunkin' hunk issue. I assume it's because it's a long story, and people would probably... People used to read stories the way we would watch television, you know, like in 30-minute chunks. So I'm assuming that he figured people would read the first section and then put the magazine aside and go and maybe the next day come back and read the next section and then come back and read the next section like installments like episodes so no one just sat down and devoured six whole novels no one had that kind of time in the late 20s what, what were they doing starving to death probably starving starving thurston they were thurston uh yeah. so so the, the 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 wispy and windy and twisty and turny plot is just that there was this this ship, a freighter called the Vigilant, that had left uh, New Zealand, and while it was out, it encountered another ship called the Emma, which was which was crewed by a bunch of uh, racist stereotypes. They were all going nuts. The Emma attacked the Vigilant, so the Vigilant boarded the Emma. There was a big fight. They had to kill everyone on board the Emma. They discovered that they had been worshipping this idol down in their hold. The whole ship had apparently gone crazy. So they decided to just sort of like keep on floating and figure out where the Emma had come from, where it was going, what was in the area. And I'll tell you that this plot was vastly simplified in the 2005 
silent film that they made of the Call of Cthulhu, where it was just the vigilant was caught in a storm. Come, the ship is about to sink when they come across an abandoned ship called the Emma and just board it because their ship's about to sink. And I was like, that makes a lot more sense. The ship's been abandoned. They find blood and they find the remnants of this cult that has just disappeared. They've all gone overboard somehow. That's it. And I was like, that makes a lot. That's a lot more straightforward storytelling there, HP. But again, this was a movie, not HP Lovecraft's fevered mind. So yeah. I think that some of this, I think the problem is that this story can't ever be truly grasped by like television. Uh-huh. But there are some parts of this that are written just so like what's the word I'm looking for? Uh con con uh convoluted? Yes. Yes, yes. The story is written in a convoluted manner. And it would be easier to get across in television. Yes. Yes. Sorry uh, for going full grudge there for a moment. The, uh the, no, I, I understand. And in fact, the, the 2005 movie, uh, which is like only 45 minutes long, um, does a great job of visualizing what the short story has goes to great pains to explain. But I think actually because you get to see Thurston like marking stuff off in the calendar and noticing like connections between the dates mm-hmm. in front of you as opposed to just having to put these together narratively, the – There were things, I had read the short story years ago, and then the movie came out, and I was like, oh, I finally get what he was going, I get get the point that he was trying to make, like, Mm -hmm. about how, like, oh my god, all these disparate bits of information are suddenly making sense when you look at them all together, and, which is kind of what the story's about. That's what I was Um, saying earlier, I just didn't do a good job of explaining it. Like, mysteries aren't solved by looking at individual pieces of evidence. Right. Uh, You got, there's always going to be at least some big moment that you have where you're like, Everything makes sense now. Yeah. And so what happens is the newspaper article only says that they went to this island. Everyone died except for this one guy, uh, Johansson, and uh, another crew member who who uh, who then died on the journey back. So they just found one survivor on this ship. And then it was all vague. And so Thurston is like, okay, I've got to figure out this mystery because included in the article is a picture of another Cthulhu statue, a different mm-hmm. one. But just as hideous and he's like okay this has something to do with this cthulhu cult i've got to get the final pieces this then involves him taking a boat to australia from america and then getting there and they're like yeah he doesn't live here anymore he went back to norway and then taking that boat all the way up to oslo uh finding out that he's not where he was and that he like went back to his home so then going to like his home village this guy uh johansson meeting up with his wife who's like oh he just died but he left a diary that he wrote in English. So if you want his diary, you can have it. And the diary is then of Johansson, the only survivor of the Valiant is or the Vigilant is the is the final part of this story. Like what happened after the Vigilant boarded the Emma? Uh, is it the Emma? Yes. Uh, yes, it is the yes. Emma. Yes. Okay. And what hap- What what happened and how all the all the people died? And so what? What does he finally figure out happened to this this crew? Why does he spell connection like this? <laughs> With an X? Yes. Connection. H.P. Lovecraft, I hope you're burning in hell. He loved old, old spellings, uh, British spellings, which is why he spelled color with a U. C-O-L-O-U. That's not nearly as bad as, because people still Connection. write color with a U. That's in... true. Do they, spell, do they spell connection with an X in England? I don't think so. Time oh, to Google so they... it. I was just going to do that. 
Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it first. Do they spell connection with an X in England? Oh, I was hoping it would speak it out. In loud British there. English, there is an alternate spelling rarely used these days. There are two different spellings for the same word. They have the same meaning. Connection with a T is current and almost always used. Connection with an X is much rarer. It was used until the late 20th century, though. Also, reflection, inflection, etc. I guess it makes more sense phonetically when you really think about the words. Yeah. I mean, T-I-O-N is its own thing. Mm-hmm. There was a song about it on Sesame Street, I think. T-I-O-N, shun, 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 shun. Was that on Sesame Street? It was on something when I was a kid. T-I-O-N, Doesn't sound shun, like shun, something shun, from shun. Sesame Street. T-I-O-N, maybe it was Electric Company? Shun, 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 shun. Or was it Schoolhouse Rock? I don't think it was Schoolhouse Rock. T-I-O-N, shun, 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 shun. Or if you were H.P. Lovecraft. It was the, the Electric Company. Really? Wow, I can't believe I remember an Electric Company song. Short Circuits. I have it okay. pulled up here. I'm going to send this to you. Do it. Maybe I'll include a clip from it in the show. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah. So. Uh, so he reads the diary and then, and then what, so what does he discover happened to this ship? Once, once they arrived, what, what, where did they arrive? Like, where did they go? What was out there in the ocean? A sloping mud bank. Slopping the mud bank. The end. No, they arrive at a, and they describe it as an acropolis. Yeah. That's a great word. Mm-hmm. Um, a mountaintop, a hideous monolith crowned citadel. Whereon great Cthulhu was buried. Yeah. Actually emerged from the waters. That's cool. Yeah. That's a great description. They, yeah, there was this giant stone pillar sticking out of the sea. Uh, and, then a, and then the coastline with mud and ooze and cyclopean masonry, which is a term that H.P. Lovecraft loves to use. Uh, cyclopean. Damons. And uh, so, yeah, so this is the city of Relia or Rillier, which uh, which we've heard of. And it's somehow, for some reason, most likely because of that earthquake we keep talking about, came up out of the out of the water. Uh, I love that word. Sorry, I'm getting distracted by words. Uh, this is very similar to what Lovecraft wrote years before in his in his short story, very short story, um, Dagon, where a sailor is out on the sea and then this island arises underneath him. And it has ancient masonry and like weird sculptures and stuff on it. Uh, in fact, Dagon, parts of Dagon are just sort of inspirations for later. He sort of used that for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, well, if you write something like that, you got to use it later as well. Yeah. And he says, I suppose that only a single mountaintop, the hideous monolith crowned citadel whereon Great Cthulhu was buried, actually emerged from the waters. So as huge as this Cyclopean city is, we're just seeing the tops of the buildings, basically. It's like the just, tip of the iceberg. Yep, yep. We're just seeing the very, very, very hint of of uh, of what what is actually underneath the the, the waves. We also get him using the, the term non Euclidean, mm-hmm. which is uh, very popular in Lovecraftian fiction. It's the notion of of geometry that does not accept Euclid's fifth or parallel postulate. What does that um, mean? <laughs> so uh basically the idea that geometry to put it in like the way they they're not scientific terms but the way they actually use it in fiction is usually used to mean like two angles 
two planes coming together at an angle don't actually come together at an angle. They just, where two lines should intersect, they for some reason don't, and it doesn't make any sense using geometry that makes sense to our brains. We're using a geometry that exists in a dimension that we can't comprehend. I love it. Yeah, so you're looking at you're looking at actual architecture that doesn't fit your the the it doesn't it can't exist comfortably in three dimensional space. It exists and you can see it and you can see that it's carved out of something, but you're looking at it and the angles are wrong. Like the it doesn't lie comfortably on your eyes. And again, that's something that's almost impossible to show on television or in a movie, but that works fine in fiction because you can just say it and there it is. Yeah. They actually do a good job of it in the short film because they're using miniatures and stop motion animation and everything looks weird anyway. Mm -hmm. And they're able to use like cutouts and force perspective so that you think a character is going to like walk in front of something, but they actually walk behind it because you're seeing a shadow that then suddenly operates as an angle or a corner and it, and it works really well. Like you're able to see like, it just, it, it tricks your eyes momentarily. It's like a three-dimensional MC Escher drawing. See, my thing would be to make a found footage movie of it and just explain it away by saying the camera cannot actually comprehend it, so it's making its own garbage excuse. You should you should do a found footage movie, and then when they get to the when they get to relay, the screen goes blank, and then you walk out and you say, "Unfortunately, the camera can't capture the weird angles." The end. Because there's just, no more footage. Just give them the double bird and walk away. Yep, yep. And also, this movie has been two and a half hours long. Nothing has happened until now. Right, right. It's just a bunch of talking heads. Oh, we understand the footage would have been really scary if we could have seen it. So they land on this island, this this sunken city, and it's terrible and disgusting, but they keep searching it. Like they're, they're like, well, this is weird. I guess we better go see what's up. Oh, look, a giant door. So there's this giant doorway. Uh, that Rodriguez the Portuguese climbs, uh, which is fine. Rodriguez is a fine Portuguese name. We don't we don't learn anything bad about Rodriguez the Portuguese, although he is referred to as Rodriguez the Portuguese, as opposed to just I don't know Sam or even just Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, what I do love is that he's like, okay, so there's this door, and we know it's a door because there's a lintel and a threshold and door jams, although. We couldn't figure out if it was flat like a trap door or slanted like the outside of a cellar door. The geometry was wrong. So they're looking at this door and they can't tell if Rodriguez is like walking across the door or climbing the door. Like it's imp you can't you keep looking at it. And because up and down don't work correctly here, you're just like, I only know it's a door because it looks like a door, which I love. And then they're like, this is a giant terrifying door. Let's open it. As humans do. Yes. I uh, would not open the door too much. I'd be like, look, it's a giant door. Yeah. Guess I'd better get some professionals in here, huh? Well, they don't need professionals because they start getting it open. It says the acre grate panel began to give inward at the top, and they saw that it was balanced. Donovan slid or somehow propelled himself down or along the jam and rejoined his fellows. Everyone watched the queerest recession of the monstrously carven portal. In this fantasy of prismatic distortion, it moves anomalously in a diagonal way so that all the rules of matter and perspective seemed upset. And this is where we get the emergence then from this whole doorway, hallway, something, the great Cthulhu. Sometimes I wish I could just be a nameless eldritch abomination that defines all 
defies all uh, rules of matter and perspective. What would be the benefit of that? What would you What would you enjoy about that? Existence. <laughs> Why do you want to exist on on in the abyssal plane? Why do you want to exist somewhere other than here? I have you looked outside lately? It would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would just be. I could just like just so eat wonderful. everyone I didn't like. Did you say eat or yeet? Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna keep using yeet as dated as that expression is in this episode as much yeah, as I can. Yeah, I I still say it all the time. So <laughs> it's, a gr- it's a great word. I think if anything good came of the 21st century so far, it's the word yeet. Um, so when when the great Cthulhu emerges, however you want to pronounce it, uh, there is an adaptation uh, of the Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just read the term flabby claws. Flabby Claus. Uh, that was adapted by Ian Edgington, who's done a lot of uh, Lovecraft adaptations, and illustrated by the 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 artist uh, Disraeli. That is included in a collection called the Lovecraft Anthology Volume One. I've read it a million times. It's a brilliantly illustrated comic. It's 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 somewhat cartoony, which I love. Did you stylized. give me this comic? Maybe. I think I have but it the in way, my room. The way they illustrate. The way Disraeli illustrates uh, Cthulhu in it is unlike any other illustration I've seen of Cthulhu. It actually looks grotesque and and inflated. It's got these multiple eyes. It looks like a... It doesn't look like a cuttlefish or an octopus. It looks like if you saw it in your dreams, you might represent it as some sort of octopus. But this thing is is many it's it it doesn't even look it looks almost rubbery and it doesn't look at all human it does not look like a a muscle a muscle man with an octopus face like you usually see him portrayed or it portrayed it looks like an a a monster like an abomination and even the wings look like these sickly stump things like almost like trees like broken trees the body is bulbous and writhing it's and it's it's not green it's i mean the whole the whole comic is colored very oddly but it's almost jet black like it looks like it just sort of it's it looks like it's part of the night it looks wrong and I love the way they draw it emerging from its thing because yes it does have flabby claws and not hands it's it's if I saw this thing rising up out of out of a giant door that was an acre long, I probably would lose my mind. Are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. What are you doing with your hands? Flabby, Flabby claws. claws. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so let's stop for a second. What was your first encounter with Cthulhu? We watched the real Ghostbusters. Oh, that's right. Okay. So your first encounter with Cthulhu, but you don't remember that. Like that's not part of your... No, my first... Memory of Cthulhu? Was there a Cthulhu head in Dreamhaven? Dream Not Dreamhaven. No, that was no. a giant dragon head. Right, different. Uh, then it was definitely the doll that I can remember. Yeah. Remember. What was the first... When when were you first aware that Cthulhu was like like a horror character? I think you probably idea? told me that as soon as you got the doll. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, the stuffed Cthulhu, which is not an, which is not, uh, an intimidating specimen. No, I love him. Yes. He is, he is, uh, an adorable squishy man, uh, or thing or whatever. And very soft. Mm-hmm. It's the, for list, it's the famous Cthulhu. Like everyone has it. It's uh it's a, it's an adorable plush, but yeah, like over the years, especially in the last like 20 years, Cthulhu's become such a, such a pop cultural character that. It's hard to imagine it actually being terrifying. I have a shirt that says Cat Thulu on it, and it's a green yep. cat with tentacles. I also have a plushie of Cthulhu that's like this big, and he's a circle. Mm-hmm. Just a <laughs> circle with tentacles on his face. Yeah, he's very soft. Adorable. 
We took a lot of the bite out of Cthulhu. Uh, I remember reading uh, pop culture articles that were like people debating over who would win in a fight, Cthulhu or, or Godzilla. Cthulhu. Because they were, both, they were both monsters that rose from the sea. And everyone wants Godzilla to win because Godzilla is fan favorite. But Cthulhu, well, Cthulhu would it like you can't kill Cthulhu. You can't even fight Cthulhu. He exists on a dimension other than ours. In fact, in this story, so Cthulhu rises out of the doorway and just starts killing left and right. Mm -hmm. One guy falls into an angle that doesn't make any sense and dies. Uh, Cthulhu smashes people, crushes people. Uh, We don't know if Cthulhu flabby claws. This flabby claws. We don't know if Cthulhu is actually trying to kill these people, by the way, or just get out of the hole. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't even know if Cthulhu realizes these people are there. It's such a weird alien entity. It's literally an alien entity. Mm-hmm. But uh, Johansson and the other guy whose name escapes me. Bryden? Uh, is that who it is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they see this thing and they take off for the ship, which is fortunately they left idling. Uh, they did not. They did not shut the engines down. And then I had to look up this word. After vigintillions of years, and a vigintillion is 10 to the power of 63. Too many. Uh, in American numerical notation, in British notation, is 10 to the 120th power, uh, which, as they point out in the footnotes of, of the annotated, more annotated Lovecraft, that's vastly more years than the age of the universe. Yeah. So, uh, so after vigintillions of years, Great Cthulhu was loose again and ravening for delight. I don't know if delight's the right word. Flabby claws. Vigintillions. So flabby claws, yes. Uh, the, the the three men are swept up by the flabby claws. They were Donovan, Guerra, and Angstrom. Parker slipped as the other three were plunging frenziedly over endless vistas of green-crusted rock to the boat. And Johansson swears he was swallowed up by an angle of masonry, which shouldn't have been there. An angle which was acute, but behaved as if it were obtuse, which I love. I love it. It doesn't make any sense, and I love it. I can't even imagine what that means because you're not supposed to be able to. I hate geometry. Because <laughs> it kills you. I hate it so much. That's what I'm going to say. If anyone asks why I hate geometry so much, I'm going to say because it kills you. Because it kills you. So what do what do, uh, what do do Bryden and Johansson do once they get on board the ship? One of them went mad, and then they leave. <laughs> Bryden goes mad. Uh, Johansson leaves. But Cthulhu is coming up behind them. So Johansson does the ballsiest maneuver in the history of H.P. Lovecraft's writings. Does he drive into Cthulhu? <laughs> Yep. Yep. He he turns the boat around, plunges straight into Cthulhu, which splits Cthulhu in half. He explodes with the smell of rotting flesh and dank seawater and smelly poop. And then as they're as they're boating away, they look back and Cthulhu is reforming in the middle of the ocean. Ha ha ha. <laughs> this man. So so why didn't Cthulhu then take over the world? Why would Cthulhu want to take over the world? Well, why did Cthulhu not then, like, why did the world not end then and there with the story? Because the world doesn't matter. (laughs) That's not the answer I'm looking for, but... (laughs) Because Cthulhu goes back to bed. Yeah, just like me. (laughs) (laughs) It was not time for Cthulhu to get up. The sailors accidentally woke Cthulhu up. And so Cthulhu goes back to sleep. And Rilia Rilier sinks back beneath the waves, presumably, because they go looking. Uh, a later expedition goes looking, and they don't find any island there. There's mm-hmm. nothing there. So presumably, uh, Rilia Rilier sinks back beneath the waves, and that's when Wilcox woke up from his delirium. And where does this leave our narrator, though? Now that he knows that the cult exists, that Cthulhu woke up, that's what flipped everyone out. Everyone started freaking out. Cthulhu went back, but it's just biding his its time. 
what where does that leave our narrator our humble narrator uh just you know ignoring it <laughs> it's pretty much what he's doing he says a time will come but i must not and cannot think let me pray that if, if i do not survive this manuscript my executors may put caution before audacity and see that it meets no other eye he's basically yeah. just like so this exists mm -hmm. and i've written out this entire screed mm -hmm. and now i hope nobody ever reads it i hope nobody ever figures this stuff out it's the classic I have put together all this information. There's nothing in the universe more dangerous than it. I'm just going to close it up and just cross my fingers and hope no one reads it instead of, I don't know, burning it? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Getting rid of it? Maybe uh, maybe he can't get rid of it. Why not? Maybe like it's this collection of knowledge that he has and it's like forbidden knowledge. Um, but maybe like... Putting all of this together changed his psyche to a place where he can't physically get rid of it. I'm wondering. Yeah, I'm wondering how much of the call of Cthulhu has affected his mind. Mm -hmm. uh, like how much of it he doesn't. How much the call of Cthulhu itself refers to like the like irreversible way this whole story has affected the people involved. Mm -hmm. That was the document I read. And now I have placed it in the tin box beside the bas-relief and the papers of Professor Anjo. With it shall go this record of mine, this test of my own sanity, wherein is pieced together that which I hope may never be pieced together again. I have looked upon all that the universe has to hold of horror, and even the skies of spring and the flowers of summer must ever afterward be poison to me. But I do not think my life will be long. As my uncle went, as poor Johansson went, so I shall go. I know too much, and the cult still lives. But that's it. That's the end of the story. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think? It's a good story horribly like horribly it. racist at a lot of moments but it really is isn't it Good certain story. words certain words and terms we just chose not to say out loud yeah yeah because i'm not there are certain words and terms that have only i would say in the last 15 or 20 years become accepted as being insensitive mm -hmm. uh yeah and so and so there's so many adaptations of this out there comic book wise uh, uh audiobook wise but probably the best is of course in my opinion the silent film made by the hp lovecraft historical society uh directed by uh i want to say andrew lehman um that was made in 2005 uh, that was filmed so uh, w they've made a couple of of movies based on lovecraft and a bunch of radio shows and their goal was to create the movie using only the techniques that would have been used at the time the story came out, which is why it's silent and uses really old special effects and stuff. Almost as if like Hollywood had been like, had paid H.P. Lovecraft the money and decided to adapt Call of Cthulhu that year. Um, yeah, directed by Andrew Lehman. And it's 45 minutes long. And dang, if it doesn't tell the whole story, like just in and out doesn't waste any time um it also has really good representations of the bas relief of the different cthulhu sculptures in case you're having trouble like picturing them in your mind they do a really good job of of demonstrating what those would look like and they do look 
Like they would have been very upsetting to see in the late 20s. Do you find this story scary? No. If you had read it when you were a kid, would you have lost sleep over it? No, because I wouldn't have understood what the heck was going on. <laughs> you thought that the story, the color out of the color out of space, was scary though when I read it. Yeah, that's different though. Yeah, no, I'm that's just saying like, that like because like as a kid you don't think about the existential dread of not mattering. <laughs> <laughs> but you do worry that your mom may be in the attic having turned to, to dust. Yeah. Yeah. And that then the old farmer down the road may be also turning to dust, but may slither after you on his belly. Mm-hmm. That is creepy now that I think about it. Uh, another another H.P. Lovecraft story that had a pretty decent film adaptation made just last year. So if you haven't seen Color Out of Space, give it a look. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Even before the really weird stuff happens, someone accidentally cuts off their own fingers while cooking. Accidentally. <laughs> I mean... I think so. <laughs> she doesn't notice when it happens, so the only thing I can weird. think of when you say that is the terrible grudge movie that just came out. I hate that movie so much. I wish I'd never seen it. Uh... Doesn't even have that in it, I don't think. Meow. Nope. It's not even the same grudge. It's a different grudge. Different grudges. Grudges, grudges everywhere, not a drop to drink. I hate it. It's a terrible grudges. movie. And it deserves uh, to burn. It deserves to burn. I am sorry you saw the bad movie. When did it come out? You saw it. Like right before everything went to pot. Can we just talk for a second about how the world has gone to hell? Yeah. About how like H.P. Lovecraft wrote stories about like what if the world was about to go to hell and now it has gone to hell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder Didn't what H.P. Take... Lovecraft would. I don't know. He'd be horribly racist. Yeah. He'd be a Trump supporter. I don't want to think about that. He'd be terrible. Uh, uh, but look at how the world has gone to hell and it did not take a monster rising out of the ocean to do it. Sometimes I think it did. It's where Donald Trump came from. Yeah, I won't give him that much credit. Yeah, that's he's fair. like one of the he's like one of the dumb cult followers. Yeah, except he's got his own dumb cult. I mean, that's and probably like, how the Cthulhu cult started. One person discovered a weird statue and was like, "I could start a cult around this." Okay, let's say this: Donald Trump, uh, flabby, uh, flabby, claws. flabby, flabby claws. So we've got that mm-hmm. disgusting to look at. Mm-hmm. Like. You can look like anything, but he looks terrible because he's terrible. So yes. horrific visage, uh, doesn't do anything really, mm-hmm. has a cult of stupid people who support murder and want to see this guy, this thing, rule over everything, even though it obviously doesn't care about them and only would, it would only wants them all to suffer as well. If it wants anything. Yeah, I can see the connections. Mm -hmm. I can see the connections between the Trump cult and the Cthulhu cult. I can see that. I'm so angry now. (laughs) And you may be saying, if you're listening to this, you may be be saying, but I'm a Trump supporter. I didn't listen to this podcast for politics. To which I say, I don't want you to listen to our podcast anymore. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. (laughs) You stupid, you stupid idiot. Don't listen to our podcast anymore. Don't enjoy anything anymore. Go, go away. Sit in, yeah, go go sit in the toilet. Go sit entirely in the toilet for the rest of your life. Because that's where you belong. In the toilet. With the rest of the poo-poo. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to get political, everyone. I think this podcast is inherently political. Go on. At least to Trump supporters. <laughs> well, as we said before, all all horror is inherently political, mm-hmm. and uh, whether or not you want it to be, oh, all art. Everything's political. If you have a point of view, 
everything's political. Yeah, because social politics are an absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so everything's political, everything is terrible, and we're all going to die. And uh, if you're a Trump supporter, don't listen to our show. Don't listen to our show. Go put your head in the toilet so you can't hear anything except your own farts. I don't think that's how. <laughs> put your head in a toilet and then have someone sit on the toilet and fart <laughs> forever. That's what I say to you. Sorry to get so angry, everyone. Sorry to get so angry. Uh, don't, 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 don't mind me unless you're a Trump supporter. Then mind me. <laughs> uh, uh, so this was the Call of Cthulhu. Uh, are there any more Lovecrafts in this collection? I don't know. Let me check. I don't know if we're going to be encountering Lovecraft again. I haven't looked ahead. I'm purposefully flipping my pages loudly so the audience knows that I'm flipping my pages. That's good. That's a good. That's a good of you. Let's see. I don't. Yes, we have rats in the walls. That's right. We have rats in the walls. So we've got rats in the walls. That's not coming up for a while. Mm-hmm. What is coming up? What is our next story? Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson. The Summer People. The Summer People. Now, we have some history with Shirley Jackson on this show. We covered the film version of The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. Yeah. And now we are on to, uh, on to another one of her famous short stories. So uh, I'm excited. Me too. Yeah. I like her Talk writing. a little Talk a little bit about Shirley. Talk a little bit about talk a little bit about her life too. She's an interesting person. A movie just came out called Shirley, based on the novel Shirley. So uh, it's about Shirley Jackson. So yes, I figured. <laughs> it's not just like I didn't just bring that up because of the title. Uh, oh, and also, I uh, remember when we covered um, the Innocents, based on the mm-hmm. Turn of the Screw. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Haunting of Bly Manor just dropped its first trailer. The new Netflix series based on the Turn of the Screw. Nice. The follow-up to The Haunting of Hill House. It looks like it has almost absolutely nothing to do with The Turn of the Screw. In much the same way that Haunting of Hill House had very little to directly yeah. do with Haunting of Hill House. But it looks like it's going the same direction. Like, we're taking the story and we're just exploding it and exploring its themes and stuff. Yeah. So The Haunting of Bly Manor. Nice. I'm just This little free advertising for Netflix, I guess. Yeah, because they definitely need it. Is what we're doing now. Um, no, can, I just, I just, get, can I just say something? Um, that you have a microphone. Netflix can go to hell. Okay. For what they're doing to the Avatar TV show. Well, that's all I can say. Yeah. Go to hell, Netflix. Uh, go to hell, everybody. I did just finish Umbrella Academy season two, though. <laughs> which was very so, good. So keep making the Umbrella Academies, Netflix, but also go to hell. Also, anytime, thanks for the Babysitter's Club. Yeah. Anytime they try and do like an adaptation of uh, – like something, I just don't want any more live action adaptations of uh, cartoons or anime. Yeah, we don't need them. We yeah. don't need them. Animation need is them. its own medium and you can't really create something. You can't transfer it into live action very well. It's just not, just give me more animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch The Dragon Prince by the people who created uh, Avatar Last Airbender. It's a good show. Also on Netflix. You know, we also need to do a silent moment for someone. Who? Chadwick. Chadwick Boseman, yes. Yeah. Uh, not directly connected to us in any way or our show. No, but, but he was a very good man. A light in the dark. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, yeah. A little moment of appreciation for a fallen hero. Yeah. What a cool guy. What an awesome guy. Yeah, yeah. Just sad all around. Just terrible all around. Sending what, prayers, a, what a legacy. Sending prayers to his family. I don't even pray. That's. I just don't it's know what else to say. I don't know how to yeah. give condolences. It was a sad week. You know what? It's, it's been a sad year. <laughs> but my birthday's coming up in four days as of recording this as of recording this by the time it drops um maybe three days two days one days depending on when i get this thing up so uh wish willow happy birthday everyone 
I'm turning 19. 19? I can't believe it. When you turn 20, it'll be the 20th anniversary of 9-11. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's how I keep track of how long ago 9-11 was. It's about your birthday because you were born. Six days. You were in the hospital for a few days, and then we brought you home, and then 9-11 happened. Maybe my birth was the thing that started all the terror in the world. Maybe it was. So yeah, so, we, so we've got Shirley Jackson coming up. Uh, we've got uh, a bunch of other fun stories coming up. Uh, one of these days we'll get back to movies. Who knows when? Who knows Who knows if the world will continue turning? I don't know. Um, let's, just, let's just make a vow. Come hell or high water, we're going to keep making this podcast. Yep, no matter what we're doing. And you're starting school again. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, so as of tomorrow, you'll be back to school, so we'll be figuring out when we're going to be recording again. And also one last gigantic thank you to Andrew Troth. Go to audible.com and search Andrew, T-R-O-T-H, and you'll find all of his wonderful narrations. He is a great speaker. He is a great friend. He's a great actor, great performer, a great benefit to the Twin Cities theatrical community and beyond. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to hear more of us, uh, Willow has been on my other show before. She's been on uh, Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bearcast, uh, which you can can find at BerenstainBearcast.org, or you can find it like this show. You can find it on Spotify if you want to. Mm -hmm. I also have another podcast called Pizza Toast. It's a podcast about the Netflix Babysitter's Club TV show. So if you want a short series to listen to, listen to that. Two friends yammering about a bunch of teenage girls. Um, Like not just random teenage girls. Specific characters in a teenage girl show. Um, I love the Babysitter's Club book series. I've read 55 of them. So, yep, out loud. And in, in any case, I'm Phil. Oh, uh, Willow. What the what hell happened? just happened? What happened? <laughs> you briefly turned into a cat. You briefly turned into you. You went like this. You went. <laughs> and then you turned into a cat. And then it went back to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And we'll see you when it's Del Toro Toro time. time. T-I-O-M. T-I-O-M. Say the end of new pollution. T-I-O-M. T-I-O-M. Never throw it in the water. Cause you will.